Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have Dr. Stephanie Minchin with me. Steph is a clinical psychologist, a yoga therapist, and yoga teacher who integrates yoga and psychology for positive mental health and emotional well being. Steph co-founded the More Mind Project with More Yoga and has also authored several articles, research papers, and a book chapter. Steph works with children, young people, and families for the NHS, as well as independent psychological therapy for all ages in East London. Steph has worked with charities and third sector organizations, delivering trainings and consultations, as well as presenting as a keynote speaker in workshops and conferences. Steph is a friend of mine. I am super excited for her to bring her wealth of knowledge to this podcast. Steph, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Oh, thank you, Becky. It's such a lovely introduction. And I almost wish that the listeners could see our smiles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so what has brought me to the work? Oh, gosh, such a long journey. Um, When I was growing up, I always had an interest in, I suppose, helping you know there was a very strong family value around caring for others um being kind having uh, you know charitable offerings so that was a really strong family ethic um of course we go through our life with our own adversity which i'll speak to a little bit later on um but it i really developed a curiosity about the human mind and human behavior and people like various cultures and families and and what we do and how we do it and that really inspired me more towards seeking a career in psychology Mm -hmm. so i studied psychology and sociology at university psychology is more traditionally about the individual sociology more typically about groups actually integrating them together allowed me to unpack actually how the mind operates in context so it's really sort of rich and social constructionist I decided to pursue a career in mental health I was very very curious about I think I don't really like this word but at the time what was viewed as um actually it's a really labeling word it's not something that I typically use but sort of abnormal psychology Mm. and even at that point I was really critical of that I was like what do you mean abnormal it's just a variation in human experience like we're all on so many different continuums so it was clinical psychology that I was pursuing uh, with a particular interest in mental health and um, as I was pursuing this career I was very aware I would have to or more likely need to (laughs) have my own therapy at some point (laughs) and of course we put so many blockers and barriers in the way. Um, there's not enough time, there's not enough money. And quite frankly, I'm a little bit scared of what might come up. So eventually, as I um, continued on that sort of uh, journey towards clinical psychology, I'd moved to London by this time. And I was working in a school with children with autism. And this amazing teacher, still still connected with her today, Kathy, she was doing yoga classes regularly for teachers of the school. So I started a regular practice. And, and of course, initially it was like, you know, the fitness, the strength, the asana, the physical aspect. Mm-hmm. But actually what it was doing was offering me a space 
to come back to myself and to relax after a very high intense stressful working day. So that really planted the seed of, of my yoga practice. And gradually I was, you know, doing more yoga, but also uh, pursuing this career in psychology. And I was noticing that as much as I was avoiding my own talking therapy, <laughs> yoga was serving as therapy for me in a way that I didn't know. It was enabling me to feel a little bit less stressed, a bit less anxious, a bit more present, and really a bit more in my body. So just as I sort of uh, went through lots of different sort of jobs working in mental health, from psychiatric wards to charities to uh, sort of um, psychology spaces, I was also building up my yoga practice and went to an ashram in India. And there I was like, oh, maybe I want to be a yoga teacher. <laughs> so, oh no, I can't do this. I've been, you know, kind of following this psychology route. And um, I had an opportunity actually to do my yoga teacher training alongside my psychology training. And it was funny that I was existing in what I thought were two different worlds. One was, you know, sat in a shrink chair and the other was prancing around in leggings. But actually what I was realized I was doing was mirroring each world in parallel, because for me, they were about a journey inwards and about holding the space for others. And it was a couple of years later, I was at a conference and uh, Heather Mason from the Minded Institute gave a lecture on um, yoga therapy. And it was this light bulb moment of, oh my goodness, my two favorite passions in life I can bring them together. And that was allowed me what was my next direction um, in my career, but also to say that actually I had acknowledged that by the time I'd got to doing my own talking therapy, it was the yoga that had enabled me to be in a place enough to do that, which is why I sort of really personally connected with the healing powers of yoga. And then I feel in this really um, fortunate and privileged space that I've experience that gift myself but in terms of my career I'm able to share those with others. That was so beautifully said and there's so many points that you mentioned that I could zone in on now and yeah I firstly just want to say I love that you spoke about that kind of avoidance to going to therapy mm -hmm. yourself and you know it's something that I have felt and what makes me most happy is when I actually had an email from a client this morning just saying about how it wasn't as bad as they thought or it wasn't as scary mm -hmm. as they thought. And I think, well, if I can allow a therapy session to be that, not be as scary or not be as bad as they kind of catastrophize for it to be or to speak about really intimate details in a way that feels supported and safe, then, you know, mm. I am doing my job. And I think that's such a beautiful thing that you put out there because even us mm -hmm. as therapists, yeah. um, we still experience that, you know, some days I wake up and I think, oh, I do not want to go to therapy today. But mm -hmm. I always feel great afterwards. It's just that kind of, um, it's just exhausting. You know, doing this work is tiring. And sometimes I think it would be easier for us just not to do it, but it is so much better if we do mm -hmm. invest that time and energy. Yeah, exactly that. I, um, I shared something on social media yesterday, very simply, your therapist has a therapist. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> really important for people to know. It's, a, it's an essential part of our work. Yeah, so true. And I also love 
your fusion of yoga and therapy and, you know, the body and the mind. And mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. there's, there's so much research about how trauma is stored in the body. You know, this is not new mm -hmm. stuff, but it is mm -hmm. something that often doesn't get looked at in psychology and psychotherapy um, atmospheres. So, you know, I try to integrate the two a bit. It's different, differently yeah. to you, but, you know, I have the integration as well. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so fantastic that you're also bringing this into your clinical work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's very powerful. Yeah, very powerful. <laughs> well, today we're going to discuss both the roles of social media on our relationships with our bodies and mental health, as well as the impact of trauma in our relationships, again, with our bodies and with others. Seth, I was wondering if you can kick us off by telling us a bit more about your thinking on social media in this way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a couple of, I suppose, personal reflections that I wanted to bring mm -hmm. into this first, where I feel it's a really important question for us to be addressing. And that's because perhaps over my own experience, I've had a very difficult relationship with my body growing up in terms of um, shape, size, weight, appearance. And one of the main beliefs I had when I started my yoga teacher training was if I do my yoga teacher training, I'll get skinny. Mm -hmm. And oh gosh, it makes like part of myself recoil when I even hear those words, I reflect on um, myself back at that point. And that's really showing actually the sort of, um, I suppose that the forum, the industry, the, 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 the how the discipline, how the practice has been really, really um, centered around a certain body ideal. Yes. You know, there's so many different other factors that we can kind of deconstruct around the kind of, um, let's say the whiteness of the yoga industry, the slimness of the yoga industry, the, the how, um, and wellness in general actually, actually that's taking it away from its roots but actually the main point of this discussion is actually to really highlight how social media has a real influence within that so particularly in the young people that I work with so um, many of them being teenage girls um, of course you know the digital age is even more you know they've grown up with it more even more than what we have and I call it the dark art of comparison, because when you're constantly scrolling and looking as we all fall down that rabbit hole trap at different times, is that it really infuses these beliefs of I am not enough. I am not something. And so it's that external comparison. Someone else has more, someone else is more, and therefore I'm inadequate. And it really, really, really leads to toxic relationships with ourselves, our self-concept, our self-worth, our self-esteem. It leads to difficult relationships with our bodies. You know, do we want to, is it, is it um, encouraging us in a distorted way to kind of shrink ourselves or not accept our shape or our size or our color or how we are? Um, and it just becomes very, very, very toxic. And, can particularly uh, per uh, perpetuate in some people like eating difficulties, difficult relationships with food, nutrition, body, set and sense of self. Yeah, this is something that I also, in a, in a slightly different way, but also have experience with. And mm -hmm. for me, I think it comes down to 
the yoga industry and um, how toxic the yoga industry can be. And for those of you who have known me for a while or have known, you know, my kind of yoga career, um, you might know that I used to teach lots of rocket and lots of power and Ashtanga and how I've really been trying recently to ease away from that and teach more all levels or inclusive yoga. And some of the reasons for this is because of social media and how when I was living in London, I was constantly comparing my practice to someone else's, to someone else's, and how many likes someone got on their photo of them doing a wheel when I only got, you know, half of that on a photo of me doing a wheel. And I have, I've had to really put boundaries down with myself and looking at similar accounts of similar photos, because mm -hmm. for me, it was really neg negatively impacting my mental health because there was, as you say, Steph, that comparison there. And I was compa comparing, you know, my bad days to other people's good days. And yeah, for me, because I, you know, I came from a dancing industry originally, it was really competitive and it has taken a lot of work for me to just you know realize that it's not about that and now my yoga practice personally I I don't practice rocket I don't practice handstands in the past like two years mm -hmm. I do what feels good for my body and that isn't doing a scorpion pincher where, where my back hurts for two days afterwards because I don't have the core strength to contain it so um yeah I think it takes I think if you're looking at social media look at yeah. it with a pinch of salt yeah absolutely and 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 it, it's not that any particular practice is um, preferred. It's exactly what you said, Becky. It's I do what's good for my body. And yes. for, for some people that is doing the pinches and the handstands and for yeah. others it's doing something restorative. And for me, it's about the values, actually what are the values of yoga? How are you listening to your body? How is it going to serve you? And in terms of using social media, how are we being transparent? How are we being accountable? Who, how is it that I show the values and share that with others? Mm -hmm. How am I authentic to myself? Who are the accounts that I'm following? What is it that I sort of appreciate about them? Um, and I think, you know, we, we really, well, I certainly want to advocate for stepping into more sort of a, a responsibility of inclusive inclusivity, whether that's sort of body positivity by shape and size, whether that's diversity around that it's not just a white world. Um, I think that we certainly have a responsibility with that. Um, and then with, with the going back to the sort of more sort of body image as well, um, really seeing the sort of toxic power of social media use with the young people in particular that I work mm. with. And, you know, that could be this comparison of I'm not enough or leading to core beliefs about um, you know your weight or appearance or your size um, it can lead into other patterns around sort of eating behaviors um, if we look at the wider discourses of our society like what's a value what's valued and what's appreciated what's celebrated what isn't mm -hmm. um, we can also look at sort of family patterns you know how how is uh, how are our bodies celebrated or not how is puberty and sex spoken about? Um, and all of those factors influence our relationship with our body, but also what that means for how we're relating to others and we perceive and compare. Yeah, such great points. And, mm. you know, I really believe that social media can be a great tool. I think mm. there's so much learning. So, mm. you know, I, I follow so many sex positive people. And for me, it, it has, you know, 
I read so much valuable stuff every day and it's a beautiful way for me to connect with friends and family. So I think it's, you know, I coming back to the word boundaries, which I've already used, I think a couple of times already in this podcast, but you know, setting boundaries for how long you're going to be looking at the app, how long you're going to be scrolling and which accounts do you learn from and do give you joy. And if there's an account that makes you feel rubbish, then, you know, maybe don't follow that account Mm -hmm. and taking that into consideration. And Steph, you just mentioned relationships and we were talking about, Mm -hmm. you know, I was talking about my yoga practice and you were talking about bodies and for relationships, we can also compare that to what we see on social media as well because it is unlikely and untypical for someone to post about an argument that they had unless they're doing it for educational purposes. Um, But you're going to see, you know, the engagements on the mountain and the hand-holding on the beach and things like that. And when we're kind of stuck at home and maybe you're looking after the kids and it just, you're comparing yourself to an unrealistic ideal of what a relationship could be. And I think that could be quite damaging in the day-to-day life yeah absolutely it's um yeah I think that also goes back to transparency doesn't it so yeah how 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 does one perform in the little black boxes on the the screen (laughs) yes yeah so Steph if we're thinking about how this can be affecting people negatively do you have any ideas of what people can do if they find themselves in this judgment space or they are comparing themselves Mm -hmm. within the context of of social media yeah yeah I think exactly what you said around boundaries Mm -hmm. um is in how what what you're using in for how long so that's very much a behavioral approach like how are you monitoring your own activity yes um for me it's a real personal reflection on exactly as you said do these accounts bring you joy are you learning from them Mm. um for me it's very value-based actually what are the values that I'm offering and and are they reflected in others that I want to connect with because really it's social media is connection isn't it that's how we you know there are so many amazing positives like how can we continue to thrive and connect we're building community connection digitally um and also checking with how you feel when you're using it um, actually did you did you start scrolling 10 minutes ago out of curiosity to look for a workshop and then 10 minutes later you find yourself feeling really really quite rubbish about yourself <laughs> then it's, it's that that awareness that mindfulness of like oh I feel a pit in my stomach or I suddenly my energy's dropped like how can you be aware of what that use is doing um yeah so just just monitoring I think your own your own feelings and, and when you use it actually if, if you're already feeling rubbish about yourself then is it an act of self-harm to, to then go towards something which is going to make you feel even worse so checking in what you use how you use it and when you use it yeah I think that's so important you know mm. time is um we don't have an inexhaustible amount of time so mm. if we are spending our time scrolling through social media, are we getting joy from that? And if we're not, what could we be doing instead that gives us joy? Could we be connecting with our partners? Could we be doing a yoga practice? Or maybe what we might be doing is having a glass of wine and putting on our favorite movie. Mm. And, you know, if social media is giving you pleasure, then great, do that. And if it's not, what else could you be doing? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So now I'm wondering if we can talk about trauma and how trauma can affect the body 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, I work with lots of people with a variety of different trauma backgrounds, but to offer, I suppose, a, a little bit of insight. So the word trauma is derived from a Greek word meaning to wound. And a really important message is that a traumatic response to a traumatic event is normal. Like, of course, your, your body, your mind is going to respond in an act of survival to protect yourself um, with a trauma response to a traumatic event. It's only when that response in the body and the mind is still chronically sustained, so still um, very much going on for a long time in a way that's a problem that actually people might develop um, conditions which could be diagnosed as, for example, post-traumatic stress disorder. And to offer listeners a little bit more insight, I describe trauma as sometimes coming with a big T or a little T or anywhere in between and on this continuum. So the big T might be a one-off single event. Maybe it's um, a car crash or an assault um, or a one single episode of something. But a little T might be many, many instances over time. And trauma can happen once in adult life. It could happen even from the, the onset of being a baby and multiple times throughout the life. So there's many, many different forms. And of course, as human beings, life will throw us suffering and adversity, and we will likely all experience some sort of trauma in our life. And this will Im impact us both, as you said, Becky, the body and the mind. So the mind being the psychology, the body being the physiology. So with the physiology, our nervous system responds as being in a state of extreme arousal. That might be hyper arousal, so super alert, um, you know, overdrive of everything. It might be hyper arousal, so sort of, um, uh, on sort of sluggish and underdrive as such. And um, this can lead to disturbances in our sleep, in our, level, our, our cortisol balance, so the, the stress hormone, um, our sleep or our digestion, and constantly being in a state of fight or flight. And with the psychology, so with the mind, we might experience uh, flashback memories or memory loss, um, alexithemia, which is a word which means... Um, and this is so common. So if you've worked with clients who say, I don't know what I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, you know, you can't identify what the feeling state is. It's not just even about matching the name to the, to the sensation. It's not even being able to connect to that feeling sensation or even numbing. Mm -hmm. So where, where we can't feel anything at all. And of course this can lead to difficulties in our sense of self or how we connect with others. Uh, we might sort of um, withdraw or isolate ourselves. Our body posture in itself might change. We might, um, for example, um, sort of uh, slump or feel disconnected or hold trauma in a certain space in our body. Um, and this can really, really impact our sense of self and um, impact our, our social relationships, our day-to-day -day life. Um, so this is particularly van der Kolk talks about in his book, the, the Body Keeps the Score. And that's really, really powerful read for thinking about trauma's impact in the body. Yeah, it's such a 
great book and such a um, digestible read. I think it's quite accessible for lots of people. So if you are interested in this stuff, listeners, then that's a really great book to get. And what I've noticed as a therapist is culturally how so many people minimize the experience that has given them the trauma or the trauma themselves. And they might say, oh, you know, it wasn't that bad or, well, it's not really a big deal or people have it worse. And I just say to people, if it feels big for you, then it is big. You know, if it feels like it, then it is it. That Mm. we don't need to minimize the experience that you went through. You know, this is your experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm just going to zone in on that, that numbness that you spoke about, Mm -hmm. Seth, and relate that back to sexuality and pleasure. Because for a lot of people, if you have been traumatized, the body does something which we call in psychotherapy or the psychotherapy I do, um, third position. So you come out of the body almost. And some people do that by actually seeing, you know, they can see their body maybe underneath them. Or for some people, it might not be visual, it might be more of a disconnect, you're not kind of integrated into your body and into the sensations. And when that happens, you know, that's the freeze response. And that is a protective strategy, so that you don't feel the extent of what's happening to you and the extent of the emotions that you're feeling from this traumatic or traumatic event or event. But what can happen is we can get stuck outside or stuck dissociated. Mm And if that happens, then of course, we cannot feel pleasure. So we can't feel or be connected to someone else's touch or to orgasm or to sexual stimulation because we are just not integrated into the body. And I think it's important to say that by practicing yoga therapy or the homeworks in which you might give in sex therapy, that's a really great way to land back into the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more actually with, with all the sort of various techniques and and interventions and therapies that can work with trauma I really really believe in the bottom-up approach so the bottom-up approach is working with the body first so you know yes there's all these different layers so we can do lots of people have heard for example about cognitive behavior therapy and that's the the you know working on the the higher processes with our brain and our thoughts and our memories but actually in order to work at that that level, we need to stabilize first. Mm -hmm. So all therapies, all treatments really, really um, have stronger impacts and more effective when they work on the safety and the stabilization first. So that's the level of the physiology, the nervous system. Yes. So if there were a few techniques that people Mm -hmm. could do, maybe a few yoga poses or a few techniques that people could do at home in a safe way if they feel like there is trauma in the body um yeah. do you have any suggestions of what that could be or what they could do yeah yeah so I suppose also from a from both a professional and a personal perspective really encourage that if someone has had something happen to them and they are continuing to struggle then please reach out for help mm-hmm. and that might mean going to your local GP it might mean Uh, researching local charities or support groups or just sharing with someone in the first instance Um, because in a a place of trauma it can be um, you know having that support system around you is integral. Um, In terms of yoga so going back to the stabilization and the safety really working on grounding techniques 
So grounding might be uh, yoga poses that are close to the floor, close to the ground. It might mean, for example, standing poses which have a strong um, foundation through the feet and the lower limbs, the legs, like a warrior pose. It might mean doing a pose, for example, in a long hold, mm. something like chair pose. So quite quickly in chair pose, <laughs> you're holding. <laughs> exactly. No one really loves a chair pose. <laughs> no, I'm laughing because I hate chair pose. It's the worst. <laughs> so I'm sure listeners are thinking, why? Why would you recommend me this? it's of course um it fires up the feet and the legs so quickly that all the blood is rushing to the muscles and the, the thighs and the feet and so if you're starting to dissociate as becky was describing it really charges the lower body quickly to come back to the ground of course then that the concentration uh, and attention is brought back into the body so it's all about the felt sense of the body um the psoas muscle, which is, I think, one of the main muscles connecting our upper and lower body, has a central role in the fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. So, you know, some people might use this myth around, you know, hip openers and emotional release. Well, the physiology behind that is about the psoas muscle. So in the stress response, as it's activated, the body will curl in. But of course, with chronic stress and tension over time, um, that creates a lot of tightness. So particularly in the hips. So um, a hip opener, something like, um, or, or, or a more gentle passive hip release, like constructive rest pose, lying on your back, mm -hmm. with your feet beneath your knees for 10 minutes or so allows the psoas to gently, gently release. And importance of going gently, because suddenly if someone is working with trauma, and you go to um, a yoga posture, which is too opening, like a back bend or around the heart, that can be really, really, really triggering for an emotional response. So it's, it's doing everything gently and safely and in a grounding, stabilized way. Great. And for the listeners who don't practice yoga, Steph said a lot of the, you know, she gave explanations, but she said a lot of the names. So you could mm -hmm. always um, rewind a little bit write down the name and then google it because there's just thousands of photos um mm -hmm. on google so you can work out what the poses look like so you can try to copy at home and i also just want to note that i kind of zoned in on on that kind of freeze response um mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily everyone's that's not necessarily how everyone reacts to trauma. So the opposite may be true. And as Steph said, you might have that more fight and flight response. Mm -hmm. And if that is more your experience, just with regards to sexuality, again, mm -hmm. you might notice that instead of being dissociated, what you actually are is a needing sexual gratification. So you might realize that you're putting yourself in risky sexual situations or you're exerting behavior that some people could call out of control, but you're doing so from a kind of compulsive need instead of one of pleasure and fulfillment. And the reason why that works is because this autonomic nervous system is involved in both arousal and fight and flight. So it might be them kind of getting their wires crossed. So again, if that is your experience, then as Steph said, you know, maybe going to your GP, if it is something in which you want to maybe get a handle on or seeing a sex therapist or, you know, a psychotherapist, if you prefer. Um, would the Steph, would the yoga poses be the same for someone who's experiencing that? 
really good question actually Becky because um, if we specifically think about sexual trauma mm -hmm. um, there might be of course inevitable areas of the body that are more um, sensitive and you, you, I suppose on an individual basis working some, with someone therapeutically the intervention and treatment plan would be mindful of that mm -hmm. so how do you work with someone to meet their needs um, I'm thinking about breath work in particular because um, something like Kapalabhati, so for listeners, that's um, a very sort of uh, hard and fast activating breath through, um, which is uh, sort of activating the, the abdomen, that can, is a contraindication for trauma. So that means if you've got experiences of trauma, Kapalabhati might trigger it. So that would be a breath practice we say not to do. Yeah. And equally, um, something like Ujjayi breath, which is, the Sanskrit for victorious breath, which is um, like a, a whisper on the throat. Darth Vader. It, <laughs> Darth Vader sound. Or, or Darth Vader sound, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for some people that can be offered as calming and relaxing and it brings warmth to the body. But for other people, particularly maybe sexual trauma, it may be triggering mm -hmm. because of the sound. So it's, it's really being mindful and attentive about um, about what is going to sort of suit the individual client or yeah. in knowing yourself doing something gradually and safely yeah so I think this circles back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast mm -hmm. in a way you know does it give you joy how does the social media make you feel mm -hmm. and the same with you know these yoga practices you know if you're doing that breath is it filling you with anxiety is it filling you with mm -hmm. adrenaline or is it calming and soothing you and really trying to be led by the body? And for those of you who go to kind of more generic yoga practices, that's what I invite you to do every time you go on your mat, because the teacher might be describing you to do something. And as you're doing it, you're thinking, oh, this doesn't feel right. I'm getting anxious. This is causing pain. You know, do what feels good for you. There's no teacher that I know and hopefully no teacher in the world who would want you to be doing something that doesn't feel right for you. Yeah. Yeah. And in something which I really, really sort of anchor down with, which is something that I learned in psychology training, but is totally applicable to, I suppose, any discipline really is you are the expert of your own experience. Yeah. And whether that's, you know, working with someone in their story in the therapy space or whether that's working with someone in the yoga capacity on the mat is that the, you know, therapist, whether it's a sex therapist, a psychologist, yoga teacher, is there as your guide and this is your body this is your breath this is your experience and the most important thing is the act of listening tuning in to what's going on for you in a way that's going to, to serve you so beautiful <laughs> well Steph I think that's all we have time for today mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming can you please tell the listeners where they can find you Absolutely, yes. So um, I suppose on social media, um, I can be found <laughs> at The Yoga Psychologist. Um, the website, which is new and coming, which is very exciting, is Stephanie. Oh, no, sorry. No, it's not. There we go. I don't even know the brand. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like it's not in my mind yet. <laughs> um, actually, that's my email address, stephanie at theyogapsychologist.uk. The website is theyogapsychologist.uk. I'll be rehearsing that a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the things that I offer, um, if people are interested either to reach out and hear more about working with me, are one-to-one -one psychological therapy, 
one-to-one yoga therapy and also um, supervision to people on their psychology or yoga therapy journeys, as well as working with corporate clients. So for example, uh, trainings on uh, understanding mental health in the workplace, uh, building team relationships, um, surviving lockdown, (laughs) (laughs) all of those things we we really need support with. So, and um, more recently I've been running a course which is into a five-week online program integrating yoga and psychology for mental health. So that will be rolling out um, several times throughout the year. So. Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm going to pop all of that information in the show notes pages. So the listeners, you can find the links directly through there. And yeah, I'd love to have you back on another episode. Oh gosh, I'd love to join. Honestly, I could talk for ages about all of this. <laughs> topic. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Such a pleasure.